Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Local Government. Today we're going to be having a really interesting conversation with the Assistant Director of Housing Services from Central Bedfordshire County, Mr Tony Keaveney. How are you, Tony? Uh, Good morning. Um, I'm well and thank you for having me on the podcast. Looking forward to it. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, it's it's great to have such an expert um, coming on to our podcast today to talk about housing. Now, housing for those at home, you know, I think it's an, a topic that gets continual uh, media coverage. There is a housing crisis. Um, and Tony, I wanted to talk to you about this today and just kind of get under the skin of it, lift up the rock and just examine this issue with you. So firstly, why have we got a massive issue with housing in this country? I think, I think looking back since the post-war period you know we had a period 1945 through to about mid 70s we build we build thousands of council homes and there's a period when in terms of housing markets functioning reasonably well um, the system is working about a third of houses today that we have were built since about 1980 so actually but a reliance on the private sector reliance on the mortgage market and to some extent that's functioned really well in the sense that we've had low interest rates and things have worked but ultimately in terms of not just planning for the right amount of housing and currently figures government's figures are at 300,000 per year we don't get anywhere near that other estimates about 340,000 you look at affordable housing and we're looking annually for about 140,000 homes per year. And we don't achieve that. You know, last year, funded by Homes England, 28,000 homes. And yet, in the context of the private renter sector, buy to let landlords exiting the market, um, deciding for whatever reason, taxation, too much legislation, rising standards, all of those issues which are important and important considerations. 35,000 private landlords left the market more than came in and acquired properties. Well, that's more than the delivery of housing supply via Homes England last year. So, So why is that happening? I think at the heart of that, is a long-term deficit in government policy. So in terms of my career, you're going back to the early 1990s, I look at the issues and problems, and I'll take, for example, since 2010, we've had 11 housing ministers, you know, often for a period of a few months. Is there consistency there? Not really. And, and I certainly recall a particular, um, particular housing minister in a private conversation, Gavin Barwell, an interesting guy, and he says, you know, I've become housing minister, and I went to the the sector and said, what will fix the problems? What will deliver us more supply? And lots of people said, you do this, you do that, you do whatever. And he said, if I do all of that stuff, will we improve supply? And they all said, no, it won't change anything. It'll be pretty much the same. So I think at the heart of the question, yeah, why have we got a big problem? I think challenges around ultimately our governance and what we do and system-wide accountability. And it's a big system, isn't it? There's the construction sector, there's planning, there's housing, there's social landlords, private landlords. And there's all of those decisions that people make every week about how much rent they pay, mortgage decisions, all of that stuff. It is big and it's sophisticated. And actually, 
how does system-wide accountability work within that? It's it's not the best. And that continuity of policy, and in particular, addressing problems at a strategic level in the 90s, the noughties, and in the last decade, I don't think we're good at getting that right for the scale of the challenge that we're dealing with. And an example of that would be decarbonisation. So some real challenges, we want to achieve decarbonisation net neutral by, by 2050. Government targets for 2030 are not that ambitious. And even then, they're using what are called EPC ratings, so energy performance certificates. And actually, the standard not that high for 2030. And yet we will struggle to achieve that. And we'll struggle to achieve it in the context of well, we're struggling just to meet ordinary housing need. We're struggling with damp and mould issues. So are we going to redevelop thousands, if not millions, of social housing built in the post-war period? I'm I'm not sure that we can do that, although the money is there to do that. And yet somehow we think we're going to deliver decarbonisation. So all those issues that people are struggling with right now around fuel poverty, around just paying for the energy costs and things, and yet house, the housing stock, not just the social housing stock in the UK, not really where you'd want it to be. And, and just to give you an example of that, and um, I went recently, I won't say whose factory, but I went to a factory, modern methods construction, absolutely vital to what we do in the context of skilled shortages. So too few people going into trades and learning those skills around delivering not just repairs, but construction. So right that we look at modern methods, factory construction of dwellings and how we deliver those. Um, Legal and General invested massively in a factory in Leeds. That factory is now mothballed. I went to another one. And, and as much as I'm impressed with the assembly line and all of those things, I'm looking at the insulation going into the walls of those properties and it's really thin. And I'm thinking, really, is this the standards we're trying to achieve? So, so the question, where are we in terms of why have we got these problems? Why do they exist? I think long term policy, I think fragmented that leadership around the, particularly a housing minister where you've got 13 since 2010. But I think also I could run through several other issues where a complex set of agenda, do we really get the coordination? And when we talk about homelessness and when we talk about other issues and dive into those, you'll see some of the disconnects that ultimately about, well, who's owning the problem? Who does it belong with? And I'll, I'll pause there. But as you tease out some of the questions, um, we'll see some of those in terms of what I would call um, system ownership. It, it isn't with any one person. That goes back to the Gavin Barwell point. You know, what's the magic bullet? There isn't one. Yeah. Lots of different things that we need to do in terms of how the system joins up. It's really fascinating, like when you talk about the kind of consistent, what can be consistently let down by instability at central government and the, the ramifications that it has for delivery and for accountability. I mean, if we then throw into mix, obviously, the, the funding issues that we currently have within local government that, you know, you're being asked to do ever more with ever less. You know, do you feel, I mean, I'm not talking specifically about, you know, where you work at the moment, Tony, but more speaking as a sector, are we heading into a very dangerous kind of uh, territory at the moment where we can't deliver safe, safe homes, safe housing for residents? Well, I think I think there are, there are two issues there. Absolutely. Um, that we are carrying more risk in the sector and that risk. Um, it relates to children, young people, it relates to people with mental health problems. But again, more and more just ordinary people who feel squeezed out and are no able to cope. And I've certainly seen in terms of a recent inquest into a death, a really sad situation where a mother took her own life, just couldn't cope with the situation. And, and that 
ordinary stress that means that's my only recourse. Yes, I see more of that and I see more in terms of casework, certainly compared to where I was 10, 15 years ago, more difficult and complex casework. So the question, how, how do we deal with that? And in particular around funding, um, I'll certainly speak around our situation. Um, government took a decision in 2015 to reduce rents by 1%. Okay, on the face of it, a 1% squeeze is not that much, but actually no inflationary uplift at all. And over that period, since then, there was rent capping last year, which in the context of now an affordability challenge, I can get it completely. But the actual amount of money we've lost as a landlord is 25 million since 2015. And we'll go on foregoing rental income at the rate of around 6 million per year going forward. And that challenge then of, well, how do you maintain good quality homes? How do you deliver decarbonisation? How do you deliver regeneration? Never mind about additional homes that we want to see delivered to meet housing need. Well, that's a real that's a real challenge because that, that squeeze on incomes, so that's six million pounds a year less that we have. Well, interest costs for me last year on our, our debt against building new homes was, was five million pounds. Yet within three years, that's 8.6 million pounds. And actually, that really squeezes the amount of money that we have to invest in new housing. So again, to give you a real example, in 2015, our operating surplus, that's 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 rental income essentially over our operating costs and all of our investment, both in new homes, interest costs and repair and maintenance and the services we provide. That operating surplus was about 12 million pounds. You know, last year, down to 3.6 million pounds, all because of that rent reduction or predominantly because of that rent reduction in addition over the period 2015 to 2023 inflation around repairs costs yeah and we've seen lots of supply chain issues seen lots of challenges around skill shortages that rate of inflation is 59 percent over that period that's what that's what we've experienced and from that perspective you know huge loss of income huge rising costs are we surprised that we are deeply challenged and alongside that the broader challenges in terms of what's often called the general fund for local authorities that 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 money from council tax and and some government grants that funds long-term investment in children's services some housing services like homelessness but other services like adult social care absolutely so when we talk about the, the challenges around adult social care funding absolutely um, you know not as well funded as it needs to be but actually for a council with a whole range of statutory responsibilities they all get squeezed and one of the challenges then for governments they always want to do new things they want to if you like um what's the word they want to go on saying you know higher standards raise things and i get that i get that but i heard a leader of a council of a local authority say recently government you've got to make a choice you either give us more money or you reduce what it is that we've got to do and i look at some of the challenges over recent years so certainly the homelessness reduction act which on the face of it a good piece of legislation in terms of its ambition its desire to meet a broader set of needs and several things which ultimately i think from a customer perspective, much better. And I've certainly heard people in the third sector, people I know who work at the, if you like, with voluntary sector groups around homelessness, absolutely wanted that accountability. And yet, if I look at it from a local authority perspective, the challenge of what was within it, there's a duty to cooperate. And actually, what you see is a single focus on local authorities picking up a responsibility. And that, that phrase, duty to cooperate, so again, system-wide accountability, um, widely seen and, and, and colleagues would widely use this phrase duty to dump 
effectively on local authorities. Now, I'm not saying that local authorities don't have a role. We have a massive role in in prevention, in making sure that we achieve really good sustainable outcomes for people. But that backdrop, which I referred to earlier, which is about housing supply being a long way short of where you'd want it to be and those challenges from a sector perspective around mental health. So I see I see very clearly um, above thresholds um, for adult social care. I see clear responsibilities for health, well-defined systems and reason, working reasonably well, all under pressure, but working reasonably well. And yet below thresholds, most of my colleagues working in housing would say numbers of people that we're picking up either with drug and alcohol, mental health or other issues which are about chaotic and difficult lifestyles or issues, all of that plays through in terms of ordinary casework. And, and I suppose the one thing I've seen through my career is a, is a change from housing being certainly in the late 80s, a universal service, yet lots of people, my parents included, I was certainly a council tenant in the 1980s. It was just an ordinary thing to access. You could access council housing, you didn't need to be anyone special. In my career, I've seen the transition to housing becoming virtually social services. And, and actually, as soon as it becomes not a universal service, we now call it social housing. And I'm not sure that's the right thing for it to become solely about those people for whatever reason that have particular problems. Because as a society, housing is expensive to provide. It's expensive to repair and maintain if you do it in good condition. And actually, I don't think we've got that right in terms of either construction or how we plan for that in terms of both long-term delivery, but also in terms of regeneration. Because an awful lot of what we built 1945 to certainly 1980 is basic, it was cheap. And actually, how are we going to deal with that longer term? I, I don't have answers to that. It's a really interesting one. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, central government, you know, raising standards in it, it's like, you know, you can't have it both ways. I completely agree with you on that. Um, I was had a really interesting conversation with Jane Biscombe, who's the uh, the town clerk for Weymouth Town Council. And we, she was talking about the civ effect, the, the you know, the the uh, further you go down into local government. So you start with central and there's there's a nice big gaps in the civ in the garden and it goes smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's kind of you can't do everything. And you know, it's almost, I mean, a question I have for you here is playing devil's advocate is with regards to, let's talk about housing, just specifically mm. for that. Yeah, yeah. Is it better to kind of say, we're not going to focus on building new homes, we're going to focus on maintaining what we've got and get that really green. And then, you know, and almost accept the fact that we're not going to be able to deliver that housing, you know, if we haven't got the budget to do both. Do you know what I mean? In terms of if we can't do both, is it not better to just say, right, with the money we have got, we can do A, go and build new green houses or we can make what we have got safe and green but we can't do both through the current funding system um and, and i and i my honest answer yeah as, as painful as it is because you know as a senior manager you'd say to me don't you prioritize don't you plan aren't you clear what your objectives are and yet the reality is we do have to do both so from my perspective um Delivering new housing and getting the income from those homes is really important to the viability of the business plan that we operate to. And so for me, can I can I afford not to improve homes that perhaps have damp or mould or particular issues? And fire safety post Grenfell, huge costs in the Building Safety Act, rightly so. You know, I'm not disagreeing with those, but it's right that we get some of the issues. We shouldn't have another Grenfell, absolutely not. But equally, the costs associated with that, because what we delivered you know, 1945 to 1975 is not to today's standards. So for me, the answer to that question is 
unfortunately we have to do both so for me definitely have to grow the business definitely have to deliver new housing because ultimately in terms of meeting housing need we need new and additional housing and we need the income as well ultimately both to repair and maintain stock but that's where the, the issue about rental income the government's decision to reduce rents over four years was so detrimental because the rents of our council housing, and this will be true for the vast majority of housing association council properties across the UK, determined by a formula generally known as formula rent and inherently no problem with it. But actually, as soon as government cut those rents, yeah, our council rents in central Bedfordshire are now 40% of market rent. So you get this wide disparity between this really good value for money product for those people who access it against a large number of customers where we'll say to them, here's the private rented sector. And probably just to make it real in terms of money, a three bed house on a formula rent, about £110 a week, same property in the private sector, probably about £240 a week. Well, you know, if you hit the jackpot and you get the social housing, brilliant. But how is that for the ordinary people who get squeezed in the middle and don't have that option? And yet, from an income perspective, limited choice. So to answer your question, truthfully, I, have, I think we have to do both because I can't ignore that customer who perhaps have a damp and mould problem at the same time, need the income. I couldn't just do one thing. It's really hard because I'm sat here trying to, in my mind, uh, kind of uh, articulate how you prioritise need of the people that actually can access and utilise housing because there is obviously limited uh, yeah. supply and there is an ever-increasing amount of demand. And earlier you talked about you know, a generational kind of interaction with social with 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 housing that's council owned. You yeah. know, it used to be, you know, my 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 dad's side, you know, uh, in Kent, they they used um, social housing, and then you know there was the Margaret Thatcher period where that was bought up, etc. But um, you know, whereas it's it's a hard, isn't it? Because obviously we we provide housing to the most vulnerable because they are the ones most in need, and and we have to be there as a safety net for them. But it is difficult yeah. for other members of the public who are paying council tax, who don't necessarily get the benefits because they don't, uh, because they're not the most vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? In terms of that middle bit, bracket being squeezed. It is it is that squeeze middle. And I feel for those people every day. And it's, again, what's, what's the objective? From a local authority perspective, it's a balanced housing market. So however we deliver supply and, and absolutely, we, you know, government set an objective, 300,000 homes a year. We're not anywhere near that figure. So the best figure in recent years is 220,000. But that that's the very best. And the figures generally fall a long way short of that. So those questions which are about the economy, what people can afford, incomes, all of those questions which are about what all of us want, a successful, prosperous, thriving places to live, um, are, are difficult and challenging these days. I still believe the housing market has to be about um, what we do and our opportunities to buy homes. But actually, you look at all of the affordability measures and housing is unaffordable. My kids won't be able to take out mortgages without very substantial assistance. And again, you then you then look at you know questions about intergenerational wealth transfers. What does it mean to be able to help that next generation? And one of the issues I, I personally struggle with, the right to buy, is challenging, not just because we lose the stock each year. We sell about 23 to 25 properties per year on right to buy. Many other local authorities sell, sell much larger numbers, but we're, we're an expensive part of the UK. But actually, when I look at that loss of stock, I, you know, great for the people who bought them, I, you know, great that they can buy the home they currently live in. But why wouldn't we give that that 
financial assistance, the value of that discount to anyone who is trying to access low cost accommodation? Why should it just be people who live, who happen to have hit the golden card that got them a relatively cheap property in the first place compared to what other people are accessing? But then more than that, we're saying, actually, if you stay here for a few years, you'll get a significant discount, which other people don't get to access. So I think I think there are anomalies and unfairness at the heart of government policy. At the same time, you know, I am pragmatic and I'm trying to make the system work. So within all of that, the vagaries of it, absolutely no choice. The law is very clear about who we give reasonable preference to and it is vulnerable people it is homeless people and again we we absolutely make sure that we keep people safe at the same time that squeeze on people in terms of just ordinary incomes low income if you haven't got a particular problem or you're not currently homeless you know it's you haven't got that much choice and i think where that's particularly difficult is are we saying you know homelessness is the only route are we essentially sending a message out to to residents um actually you know, make yourself homeless, that's how you'll get access to housing. Well, that's that's not a good message. And that doesn't work in terms of both the fairness of our systems, in terms of qualities, but also in terms of people's buy-in to the, the sense in which um, the system works for everyone. And I think people have to believe the system works for everyone. And I'm not sure it does at the minute. That's really, you know what, Tony, your passion. And I, this is what the whole point of this podcast is, is to try and get people to understand. Because I think uh, I'm not the, the smartest bloke in the room, uh, you know, far from it. But, you know, because housing is so complex, you have to put on so many levers to influence the yes. overall outcome. It's so difficult for the normal person within a community or within a society to really appreciate what's going on. And it can feel very unfair when you are sat there, as you've said, where by policy does impact the ability to have that, you know, that sense of uh, fairness throughout the community that the council serves. We had the chief exec on from Luton. He was talking about the disproportionate number of asylum seekers that are placed in Luton compared to the population size. Um, you know, and central Bedfordshire, obviously not a million miles away from Luton. And, and you know, obviously this podcast is very pro-immigration and absolutely the government's doing the right thing to step in and support, you know, people who are seeking asylum and, and, and all that all that good stuff. But obviously the actual stress that can then put onto the system, uh, an already creaking housing system can be quite intense. Has that been the case in central Bedfordshire? Has immigration played a part at all in any stress that the, the housing kind of infrastructure has, has felt in terms of uh, volume? Okay, right. So, so certainly hotels have been taken in central Bedfordshire, um, as, as have been taken in other areas. And from the government's perspective, in terms of whether they're using ships or they're using large-scale hotels, it is not the situation any of us would want to be in. And and again, you come back to those questions, um, and I, I make the connection immediately to what choices we're making about what numbers we're planning for in terms of housing. So whilst I see the stress on the system yeah of if you like the difficulties and challenges and i'll share something there was a particular building that um a particular organization was looking to take for asylum seekers and when i saw the drawings of it and i challenged very hard and, and to be honest i was successful in saying no i'm not happy about you taking this office building to convert but actually when i saw the drawings it looked a bit like a 16th century slave ship in terms of the way it was laid out and in terms of my working experience um, that's really difficult and challenging is it, as an image to see something and that was just my natural reaction at that moment it's about, about 18 months ago so from from my perspective absolutely um, I've seen figures in the last week because government have been 
ending the some of the arrangements about the use of hotels. I've certainly seen numbers in terms of the obligation we have around homelessness. We've been picking up um, not huge numbers, but significant numbers in the last few weeks. But I'll put it in the context of, you know, currently number of homelessness approaches per week, 79 per week. And that number, if I look back to middle of 2022, that number was around 40. Yeah. So roughly double where we were. Now we've had the, the end of the eviction ban, all the things that are playing through post the pandemic, which we're always going to play through in terms of a ripple effect. But that sense of of a deepening financial crisis. And I'll go back to the example which I said earlier, 35,000 private landlords left the market last year more than joined it in terms of number of private rented properties. And so whatever about some of the tensions, so 20% of our demand currently is from family and friends evictions. And that sense of tension, issues, domestic abuse, all of those issues that play through are real. Yeah. In that context, what you see playing through is the fact that people come to us quite simply because they might have previously resolved their housing issues, but actually they go out in the market and they look at what's affordable and there is nothing. It is so hard to just source any accommodation, never mind about what you do to pay for it once you get it. And I think that's at the heart of the problem. So when you bring it back to refugees and asylum seekers it's where i think the challenge is is that the numbers so far yes they're part of that overall picture when i look at the total picture a relatively small part and not one that i am overly concerned about at one level every extra case is a challenge but when the numbers overall are so big and i'll go back to 79 approaches per week um Immigration within that context feels like a really small component within a broader, much more strategic issue of affordability in the UK, housing supply in the UK and all the challenges which are ultimately how do we how do we pay for and value good quality accommodation? And I, I think that's the heart of the issue. So my last question to yourself, mm. Tony, because um, I, I could speak to you all day. This is fascinating. But if there was one or two things that central government could do to help councils across the UK with less, the housing crisis, as it were, in terms of the ability to deliver, um, you know, on, on the kind of housing commitments they have to do, what would it be? What would you like to see change? Um, I haven't touched on this so far, but one or two things, it would be definitely be about who is going to repair and maintain and build housing in future. So I think a skills strategy. So my wife's a secondary school teacher. None of the kids in her class are putting their hand up saying, I want to be a, a plumber, a carpenter, a joiner, whatever. And if we're going to deal with some of the challenges around net zero and what we do to live a good quality housing in the future, I think we have to work out when you want a plumber in 20 years time, who are you going to ring to get that plumber to come and fix that house built probably in 1980? And what are we going to do fundamentally so that we've actually got people who know how to do that? Because I certainly know my kids, if I gave them a screwdriver, wouldn't know what to do with it. So that's one key issue, I think, for government. I think ultimately, I would pull it back because this this is about a strategic challenge for the UK. It is about government and it is about clear direction. So I'd want to see consistency in terms of whoever is a housing minister. I'd want to clear, see a clear sense of not compromise in government policy. I'd want a clear sense of how it's going to be joined up. So the example of decarbonisation of energy performance certificates rather than a decarbonisation measure, I'd want to see that. And in particular, that then comes back to not government funding, but I'll give the example of rents at 40% of market rents. Actually, 
they're too low and and government decisions made in 2015 were flawed and I think it's about revisiting some of those because ultimately, no question, we have to pay for the housing. We get the housing we pay for simply. And so from that perspective, revisiting some fundamental assumptions that were, I would argue, flawed. And I think that goes to the heart of government policy and clear strategic direction around several connected and multifaceted problems. So the example of modern methods construction, it's really important, absolutely should be market led. But again, we've got to work out how is the construction sector going to deal with that? Because when I go to a factory and see too little insulation going into a wall, I find that deeply concerning. And again, that then comes back to what standards are we setting for the future? absolutely genuinely riveting uh, i could listen to i could talk to you all day about this and um i'll definitely get you back on uh, if you're keen to do so to discuss yeah, other course. topics around Always this because happy, yeah. amazing well look thank you so much for coming on tony that's been a really really insightful episode and i hope everyone at home has taken away some really clear points and i certainly have and just to kind of re-summarize what tony said there we need to review the uh the rent levels uh or the, the phrasing was obviously better from tony there and also to have clear consistency from central government um so that's absolutely absolutely amazing so thank you for that and uh you've been listening to the truth about local government um as you know this is a free platform to promote the excellent work being done uh by local uh government officers and members across the uk um have a great rest of your day you have been listening to the truth about local government podcast Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority, or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truthaboutlocalgovernment at gmail.com truth about local government. Local government is at the heart of what we do.